Hey everybody, welcome to Ask Me Anything. I am Matt Love. I'm here with Pastor J.D. Greer. And we have a quick um, couple of episodes that we're going to do here. Um, a, a short series and, and a little SBC annual meeting series. So we'll do a couple questions about the SBC leading up to the Southern Baptist Annual Convention. And just to be able to hear from Pastor J.D. on some of these topics that you're thinking about as you lead up to going to the annual meeting. So J.D., the first question we have um, is one that I think is going to be probably talked about a good bit going uh, towards the meeting. But how should we think about disfellowshipping churches in the SBC that have women as pastors? Oh, Matt, I, <laughs> I remember the days when Ask Me Anything was just non-controversial and we were talking about aliens and, yeah. you know, are there aliens in the Bible? And what does Genesis 6 mean when it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men? <laughs> um, how should we think about disfellowshipping churches in the SBC that have women as pastors? Um, I mean, great, very important question, and especially as many of us get ready to go to New Orleans um, next week. And there have been a number of churches that have been disfellowshipped, been brought before the convention because of that issue. Of course, they're not all the same. A lot of there's a, different details about all of them, and I'll, I'll get to that here in a second. But first, let's talk about what it means for a church to be disfellowship. Um, maybe the official way, the more official way to say this is that a church, um, how do we determine that it's not in friendly cooperation with the convention? Now, that's technically the terms that we use, but for practical purposes, I'll just, I'll use the term disfellowship since that's what you use, Matt. The SBC has disfellowshiped churches on and off for the last 30 years um, using various processes. Um, over the last several years, particularly when we were considering concerns about churches' alleged mishandling of abuse, it became apparent that we needed a clearer process for dealing with questions about the cooperating status of churches. Um, and so the Standing Credentials Committee, um, that's, uh, this is part of, during my presidency um, in 2019, that um, we had them appointed to uh, to be able to, to take that on. That was a step in that direction. And I supported that and I thought it was a, a good first step, uh, certainly not the last step, but a good first one. Um, that committee has a very difficult task because they have to assess if a church has a faith and practice that is, and these are the, you know, somewhat nebulous words, I guess, that's, is, 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 is are they closely identify with our statement of faith, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000? Um, that's not an easy job to figure that out. Um, I would have to be, to be faced with each particular case on its merits in order to give a definitive opinion about a particular situation with any of these churches. I can just say that in principle, of course, I do believe it is important for any organization like ours to, to have the right to determine its own boundaries and and who we cooperate with. Uh, you know, in one sense, I mean, that's what it means to, to, to guard the faith that is committed once for all to the saints. We are uh, coming together with like-minded believers who have enough in common in what they believe and in what the, the, the aims and their goals are that we can cooperate um, we can cooperate in, in, in good conscience without feeling like we d we have to agree lockstep on every single uh, jot and tittle. That's good. So all that to say, the idea of us as a convention needing a process by which we can determine if a church is indeed in uh, in cooperative fellowship, if they're closely enough identified with the Baptist faith and message, that is a legitimate need. Now, as far as disfellowshipping churches with female pastors that have somebody on their staff that goes by the name of pastor and is a female, I, I think we got to ask a few questions. I, I don't think this is a time for blunt instruments. I think we got to you know, think about what we're asking here. A couple questions that come to my mind is first, what kind of issues do we think are worthy of disfellowshipping? 
We've long recognized that we do need to be united around the essentials, uh, the, um, the, the core doctrines, the, the substance of, of what we understand as that faith handed down once for all to the saints. Um, we can do that, but we also want to let autonomous churches be able to differ on certain things that are either of secondary importance or differ on the application of some of the things that we believe. And one of the examples people always use here, uh, people always talk about communion because, you know, the Baptist faith, the message says that baptism is a prerequisite for communion. And I think um, just about any Baptist I know would tell you the the right order is salvation, baptism, and communion. But um, there are a number of churches that would um, have, if you had visiting Presbyterians who, in our view, have not been scripturally baptized, they would look at that situation and they would say, well, I feel like the um, that's not a reason to, to withhold baptism because we can let them be wrong on that issue and still recognize our unity that we have in Christ and to celebrate that with the Lord's table. There are other churches that would not approve of that practice, but within our Baptist faith and message, um, there is the application of it is there's some room for variance on that. Mm. And uh, that's what we live with. Um, Or here's another one in the religious liberty um, part of the Baptist faith and message. It says, and I quote, the church should not resort to the civil powers to carry on its work. Now, all Baptists kind of nod their heads at that. We believe in the separation of church and state. But if you want to look at how churches apply that, how they think that civil power should or should not assist the church in carrying on its work, you're going to find a great deal of variance among Southern Baptists. So we've thought that that application is not something that I would say, I would come before the convention and say, I don't think that, you know, I don't like the way that this brother is doing it. And so we're going to disfellowship them. Um, The application of that is where we say, let the autonomous church decide what the application looks like, even if I disagree with it, that's not a reason for disfellowship. Uh, another phrase in there, no ecclesiastical body should be favored. That's what our Baptist faith and message says. Well, again, what does that look like in practice and what does that mean and and what we are asking the government to do or not do? You'll find variances of practice uh, among Southern Baptists. Um, one more, baptism. You know, we believe that baptism is by immersion. Uh, there are Southern Baptists that do practice spontaneous baptisms. Um, there are others that say that's you no know, terrible idea that you need to make sure that you take a lot of time to go through a class or something like that. Um, I, people on either side have very strong opinions about it. Uh, the Baptist faith, the message, we, we can agree on the doctrine of it, but um, we can allow uh, divergence in how we apply it, even if we strongly disagree with how another autonomous Baptist church is applying it. Um, so what kind of issues do we think are worthy of, of, of disfellowshipping? When it comes to this issue, I, I think most Southern Baptists, at least all the ones that I know, would believe that complementarianism is an essential, um, that believing that God has put um, in creation an order that is to be respected, particularly in the home and in the church, um, where the man has the spiritual leadership role, and in the church, that means that he occupies that office of elder. Yeah. Um, elder, pastor, um, overseer, where he has that teaching and, and, and governing leadership role. And for some churches, they have a woman as a teaching pastor or a senior pastor, or um, you know, she's in some position that is clearly a denial of complementarianism. Um, for those, it does seem that we should recognize that they're not closely identified with us in how we see that order, divine order of men taking the spiritual leadership role. And they honestly probably need to go their own separate ways uh, if because that's um, that's an essential. Um, it's, they're not closely identified with, with the BF&M. For others, for others, the question is, the issue doesn't seem to be one of complementarianism. These churches would very vigorously say that they are complementarian and believe in that order, but it's one of, um, they would say, nomenclature 
nomenclature. Uh, they choose to see uh, the title of pastor not as referring to the office of elder or overseer. They see pastoring as more the designation of a gift that somebody is using, and um, therefore they, you know, they, they they apply that uh, title to a children's pastor who's a woman or a counseling pastor or any number of different positions. Now, just to be clear, I actually disagree with that. I think in the New Testament, the pastor, overseer, and elder are all the same office. But um, if they're getting wrong the nomenclature, but they agree on the con- on the, the essential of complementarianism, is that really a place that I want to disfellowship over what we, we call something or don't call something? The question is to me, are they really taking an egalitarian stance there Or again, do they have a nomenclature problem? Are we really prepared to start asking our credentials committee to be kicking out churches just left and right over poor titling of their staff positions? That's good. So that's the first question. Here's the second question. Um, The question is one of enforcement. Because many have said that we shouldn't stop this discussion just by insisting that churches that have a woman on staff that goes by the title of pastor, that they be removed and disfellowshipped. Um, They have said... Yeah, it's not just an issue of titling. We need to figure it out where churches are having women do things that are pastor-like. And they said, absolutely, it's not about titles. It's about when she does something that is pastor-like. Well, see, that raises all kinds of questions about, like, who gets to decide what that is? Yeah. Let me give you an example. Um, The director of our children's ministry here at the Summit Church is a woman. We don't call her pastor. She's called a director. She is not an elder. Um, In our view, she does not do elder-like things. She does not have any kind of governing uh, authority, but she oversees a team of volunteers that are both men and women. She oversees staff that are both men and women. There are people in the Southern Baptist Convention that believe that it is it is not proper for a woman to oversee a, a male volunteer. And so does that mean that we can be brought forward saying, hey, this church is doing things that um, that we believe are, are in the category of elder and we're going to decide to, to disfellowship them uh, or, or take a, a church that has an HR director, a uh, human resources director who is female and she oversees the hiring and firing of different staff members. Now, you know, there are Southern Baptists who would say, well, that's clearly an authority position. She shouldn't. And so we're going to, our Southern Baptists going to going to have a credentials committee that is going to be looking through all of these things and, and letting some group decide what they think is a misapplication of complementarianism so that churches that have a director of children's ministry that's female, that's overseen male, male volunteers, or we have a, an HR director that facilitates the hiring and firing of people on a, a church staff, that those churches, this group can decide is, is not, not in fellowship with the SBC and can kick them out. This is, it raises some questions that are deeply, deeply troubling to me. And so while we're talking about this, let me address something else I've heard kind of along with this discussion that people are saying that this, you know, having female pastors in, in SBC churches is this growing danger, this creeping epidemic. It's this, you know, massive liberal drift that's happening. Uh, Let me tell you why I I disagree with that. Not that it's not so easy to slide just toward unbelief and we've got to be vigilant on that. But here's why I disagree on that analysis in this case. Um, Even the largest estimates of how much of this is a a problem in the SBC amounts to a small, small fraction of churches. Not that that's not a problem, but just it's a a very small fraction. And let me just take my own state of North Carolina as an example, uh, because I'm very familiar with that. In North Carolina, we've got about 4,300 churches that that, um, that identify with the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, about 10 years ago, the number of female pastors in that group of 4,300 was around 200. 20 years ago, it was around 400. Now, here today, 2023, it's less than 20. So by our data, in 10 years, we've gone from 200 to 20. So in other words, it's not a growing problem. It's a shrinking problem. And honestly, anybody that says otherwise is either ignorant 
misinformed or they're being purposely divisive by trying to to, to claim something that's not true in a way to to scare people into into some kind of reaction. Um, you know, how did this happen over the last 10 years? Well, I mean, that's a, it's a good case study. In North Carolina, 11 years ago, right before this massive shrinking happened, there was a committee that was formed to address this issue. And they came back with a proposal that the messengers of North Carolina and our state convention adopted. And that proposal was that the convention, meaning the board, the committees, the church plants and ministries would operate strictly according to the Baptist Faith of Message 2000. But other churches, they said, could still give, they could still partner, they could even seek messengers. Now, I'm not saying that was exactly the right prescription, but the point is our state did not cut off the opportunity to participate in cooperating for missions, but we did say that those participating at this level would do so under the statement of faith, and it worked for us. It took a, a, a rather sizable amount of churches and turned it into what is a rather minuscule number. And if I could just shift gears here for a moment, Matt, my, yeah. one of my bigger concerns is that the way this whole conversation is going is going to alienate women who are going to be less and less inclined to serve because— We've made them the battleground. I know a lot of Southern Baptist women and, and and a lot of Southern Baptist women who are very gifted in ministry, and none of them are saying, "Hey, we really what we really want to do is take over and be the senior pastors in churches, and we want to we want to undermine complementarianism." That's not their heart. In fact, you know the BFNM says that the office of pastors is limited to qualified men. And right now, what I hear from them is that we are really focusing hard on the on the men part of the qualified men statement, and don't have much to say about the qualified part. I mean, in fact, you just want to look at right there in, in our Bibles. First Timothy lists things like a qualified man is a man who is sober-minded, self-controlled, and not quarrelsome. And I would just say, if you look at those who are leading this discussion right now, they would fail on all three of those. Many of our most engaged women in the SBC, they're firmly complementarian. They're not trying to be pastors. Just l- l- listen to them. They, they, they watch this and they struggle to understand why we're so concerned that they're trying to take over our pulpits. And yet so many pastors are absolutely ruthless on Twitter every day, and they are in clear violation of 1 Timothy 3. So here's some thoughts I'd like to offer just in kind of here in conclusion. First, and we talked about this a little bit on a podcast um, I did here on whether or not women should stay silent in the church. I just want to say this very clearly, especially to women that are listening. You are an incredibly, incredibly valued, gifted part of our congregation, and we absolutely should be empowering as much female leadership in the church as possible while remaining faithful to the parameters of Scripture. Complementarianism is not a doctrine that we're embarrassed of, or it's not a box that we check and then try to work our way around. Complementarianism is a beautiful part of God's creation and one that we will thrive. Both men and women will thrive when we are are, are pursuing it. But I can confidently say that in, in, in a church culture where women are not thriving, men will not be thriving either. We've even looked through our organization chart and, and, and tried to identify which roles don't require an elder to, to fulfill the position. And for those ones that don't require inherently an elder in that position, then we say that, that we are very open to women um, leading and influencing and exercising their gifts in those roles. So that's the first thing. Second thing, I just want to make this clear. I, I don't personally believe that it is helpful for a woman to have the title of pastor. Now, I realize what you might be thinking. You might be sitting there saying, well, what on earth is the difference between a minister and a pastor? Well, the words we use matter, and clarity is kindness. And I do believe that you can make a strong biblical case that the word pastor in the Bible is synonymous with the words elder and overseer, that there really is not multiple offices in the church. There's only elder, overseer, pastor. That's one office. And then there is deacon. Uh, So basically at our church, we use the words elder and pastor interchangeably, just like Scripture does. 
So how should we think about disfellowshipping churches in the SBC that have women as pastors? Well, ultimately, it's going to be up to the messengers at the annual meeting in New Orleans to decide how we respond to this. Five churches were already declared not in friendly cooperation by the SBC Executive Committee on the recommendation of the Credentials Committee because they have female senior or teaching pastors. Two of those churches are going to be appealing those rulings. The messengers are going to be asked to vote yes or no in sustaining the executive committee's decision. Additionally, there are, there, there are some who would like to go even further and consider an amendment to our Constitution that would declare in the governing documents that a church is, is only in friendly cooperation if it does not affirm, appoint, or employ a woman as a pastor of any kind. Now, to be clear, the Credentials Committee already has what they need in the current Constitution to take the actions they've taken, as demonstrated by the fact that these five churches have been disfellowshipped. So they already have in our governing documents what they need to be able to take that action. And they did, including the two churches that are going to be appealing. The amendment asked the question, do we want to raise this issue to the level where it is one of the specific practices listed in the Constitution with a broad definition, and then now the responsibility of some group that gets to come into your church and figure out if you're enforcing that in the way that they approve of. Let me close by saying I think it's important to have this discussion in good faith with an attempt to understand both sides and a desire that we have, I think the people in this discussion have on both sides to remain biblically faithful. The reality is that the SBC is not egalitarian. It's not sliding egalitarian. It does not do its work from an egalitarian interpretation. And I think it's important for us to just acknowledge that it's not appropriate to assume that the SBC is operating that way, or to say that somebody who advocates a different approach to our cooperation or a different philosophy about how, how to approach our governing documents, that they're doing that because secretly they're trying to overturn complementarianism and make the SBC egalitarian. That is not a good faith assumption, and it's not the kind of thing that honors Jesus and leads toward the unity that we need as Southern Baptists if we're going to go forward um, missionally in a way that's effective in reaching our nation and our world. Listen, if you're a part of a Southern Baptist church, I hope that you'll make plans to be at the annual meeting this summer in New Orleans, where a lot of this is going to be discussed. I'm going to be there, and you're not going to be able to be a part of this discussion or influence it in the directions it needs to go if you're not in the room when the decisions are made. So come be in the room where it happens. All right. Thank you, JD, so much for that answer. We're going to keep going with this SBC series again, leading up to the annual meeting next week. And the topic we're going to talk about next week is we're going to ask Pastor JD what he is hopeful for in the future in the direction of the SBC. If you want more from Pastor JD, you can follow him on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. Um, and you can also always go to jdgrew.com for more resources, and we would encourage you to check that out. And we'll see you next time on Ask Me Anything. <laughs>